Welcome to Worlds of Books. I'm Mickey Prayan uh, with co-host Vicki Prayan. This is uh, September 21st, and we are doing something a little unusual today. Rather than discuss a book, we have uh, author Blake Crouch with us. Um, after doing some research, um, I've found that he has had at least three books on the number 10 the top 10, uh, I believe, uh, Kindle list. I might be wrong on that. And you please feel free to correct me if I am. And um, has been writing for uh, quite some time and is one outstanding storyteller. Um, I think we should probably start out by introducing ourselves so that he can recognize our voices. Uh, well, he won't. You won't. We don't have to. <laughs> but at least you know it, who's here. Um, I'm Mickey Prayan. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. And um, I'm the Prayan with the bigger mouth. <laughs> and I'm Vicki Prayan, also in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm not going to comment on the big mouth part. I'm not going to comment on that either. I'm Alan Limley. I'm in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And I'm Bob Prayan, the other part of Mickey Prayan, and uh, I'm not going to comment on the those ladies' <laughs> any mouth. I'm Michelle Bernstein. I, I live in New York City, and it's it's a great uh, privilege and pleasure to, to have you with us today. I'm Jill O'Connell, and I live in California. I'm uh, Joni Leonard. And I live in Edison, New Jersey, not very far from New York City. And uh, I really want to tell you how much I love your books. And thank you for them. This is Don Queen. I'm also from California, El Cerrito, California. And I believe that's it. Uh, Vicki, would you like to start with the... Uh, I, I think what I'd like to do is to... Vicki and I have some questions that we'd like to ask, and, and of course, you, Blake, can do anything you, you want, basically, um, but then we'll open it up to the group after we've asked uh, the questions we've been thinking about for six weeks. And we may have other people join us late, so um, <laughs> who knows what will happen here, but... Um, when we were reading Pines, um, I did a little research to try to find out a little bit about who is the author, who is this guy, Blake Crouch, and couldn't find a lot of background. So um, would you just fill us in on where you grew up, how you got involved in, in writing, and uh, just a, a little bit about yourself in general? Yeah, um, I grew up in Statesville, North Carolina is a little north of Charlotte. Um, started writing fairly early in uh, middle school. I would write uh, short fiction, short stories that terrified my teachers. And in high school, I went through a spell of writing pretty bad poetry. And but by the my senior year of high school, I started writing. <clears throat> wanted to write a novel, and started writing it and continued writing it. <clears throat> during excuse me during the first uh, few years in college. And this book ultimately became my first novel, Desert Places, which I uh, workshopped in a, in a class uh, with a professor at uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. 
and this, I got my first agent with this book, and it was my first published book. Um, and after you know years and years of uh, you know kind of slogging through rejections and trying to find a, a publisher, it landed with St. Martin's Press, and they published it in 2004, and that was sort of the start of my career. Do you see yourself as fitting into a uh, particular category? We've had some some problems since we are all um, blind or visually impaired. We have we don't have the the full access to what is out there, and um, some of us have only been able to read um, maybe two or three of your books. Uh, a few people have read two or three others, but we've had problems finding them. So it we haven't really gotten a feel for um, our do you see yourself as writing sci-fi or more um, suspense, adventure? It, it, your books seem to fall into all of those categories. Interesting. Um, in the beginning, my books were very firmly, like early on in my career, I think they were very firmly in the thriller to the sort of the horror thriller camp. Uh, but starting with my book Run, which I published in, like I think, 2011, it became this thing where my books kind of stopped being a certain genre. In other words, the pacing is, is always a thriller. I always want the pacing of the book to be fast. I want readers to stay up late listening uh, to, to my books and, and lose sleep. But in terms of a certain genre, for instance, Pines, I think has elements of sci-fi and fantasy and horror and a traditional murder mystery. And there's something about that that really appeals to me. Uh, because I, I, I like, I just, I mean, I'm a fan of all genres. I, I, I love all of that stuff. So if there's a way for me to work it all into a book that sort of brings a lot of readers into it without, you know, putting anyone off, like just be, like I, I know a lot of readers who don't like sci-fi per se, but they would probably, um, you know, be into Wayward Pines because the sci-fi element of it is pretty soft-pedaled, if that makes sense. But yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I think I would define myself more by the speed of my books and the sense of the protagonists in my books not really knowing what's going on and keeping the reader off balance. I mean, that's my goal. It's not really to fit these books into any particular genre. I need to pop in and say that the the um, a couple of times my my cell phone and my husband's cell phone have gone off at the same time and my immediate reaction is the fate <laughs> that's funny that's funny yeah um the whole idea of the of the feet that was i went to this little town I, I live in durango colorado and my family and i we vacation sometimes in this little town called uray which is about an hour and a half north way up in the mountains it's a beautiful town. It's very much like Wayward Pines. It's the inspiration behind Wayward Pines. But I was walking the streets of Uray seven or eight years ago one night, and very, very quiet. You could hear a cricket chirping here and there. And then I heard a phone ring in one house, and then I heard a phone ring in another house. It was just the two of them. But for whatever reason, the, hearing those phones begin to ring sort of put me in the mind of, uh, of that scene that you just alluded to. And as um, we've said earlier, you, you tell a wonderful story. You, you, you do succeed at what you're setting out to do because you catch the reader and 
and you don't want to stop reading. Gosh, what happens next? How are we going to get out of this situation? Um, you really do a great job with that. Um, we were also wondering about the, um, the, the venues. You draw the scenes, the, the scenery, I, sh I should say, so well. Um, do you visit the places you just mentioned, the, the setting in, in Colorado that was kind of, kind of a, an inspiration? Um, but some of your your stories have taken place um, in in other parts of the country. So are these always places you've been, or are you just um, basing it on other things that you know about those areas? Most of, most of the places that I write about, I've been to. Uh, I mean, obviously, I fictionalized Wayward Pines, but it was very, it was based very strongly on this town that we visit all the time. Um, in some of my earlier books, like Desert Places, for instance, my first novel takes place in the Wyoming desert, um, north of Rock Springs and south of Pinedale. And I had been there, and my book Run takes place, you know, across the Intermountain West where I live. And I had been to a lot of the places that I mentioned in that book. And it's, it's a nice thing to be able to go to a place so you can write authentically about it. Um, the book I'm writing right now that I'm working on is set um, mainly in Chicago, which is, oh, I have a lot of friends there, and I, and I go there usually two or three times a year. So yeah, I try to, I try to at least visit um, the settings for every book I undertake. I read your book, Abandoned, several years ago. Uh, where was, did you, I'm sure you had a specific place in mind when you wrote that. Yes, uh, Abandon is that's one of my favorite books um, that I've written. Abandon is sort of this, based on this town up in the mountains just north of where I live. It's this old ghost town called Animus Forks, Colorado. Nobody lives there anymore, but there are these old structures, these old houses and remnants of these old um, uh, you know, gold mines and these stamp mills. And it's one of the best-preserved ghost towns in uh, in the country, actually. And so abandoned was was definitely based on on this location up there. Was there any historical incident that made you think of the story? Well, uh, I, the first time I thought of abandoned was when we moved to, to from North Carolina to Colorado back in 2003, so we've been out here about 11 years, and the, and the first time we drove way up into the mountains and, and took one of these dirt roads past these old ruins, I just thought, wow, what, what a cool setting for a book, because these, these mining towns are just up in the middle of nowhere, and the winters are just so brutal, and the people who would live up there you know, back in the late 1800s or early 1900s, I mean, they were really just sequestering themselves off from civilization. And so I knew that that was going to be like the setting, and but I didn't start writing it right away because I knew it was going to be a big book and involve a lot of historical research, and I wanted to have, I wanted good stories. So, I mean, to answer your question, you know, the whole mystery of abandon is the idea of a mining town in 1893 just vanishing on Christmas Day, all 123 residents. That did not exactly happen. In the, in, in the West, there's no, you know, historical event that I pulled from, although... You know, there have been mining towns that were wiped out uh, in an avalanche. There was a case where a lot of uh, the employees of this mine 
were drowned when a uh, high mountain lake kind of broke its dam and the mine flooded and it killed like 50 or 60 people. And a lot of the characters in Abandon, or I wouldn't say a lot, but some of them are, are based on actual characters. For instance, uh, there's a man named Alfred Packer who was a cannibal in Colorado back in the 1800s. And he, on his way from uh, Lake City, or from Leadville down to Lake City, he ended up getting lost with his in this blizzard with his compatriots and they were starting to freeze and he ate some of them and I, I based the character uh, the character Otho Wallace on him I based the character uh, uh, one of my favorite characters of all time that I've that I've created Joss the saloon you know black widow this murderous barkeep uh, she's based on a real character called Bronco Lou who lived in Silverton Colorado so I tried to pull I tried to pull a lot of inspiration from stories uh, I'd heard or read about in the Colorado Mountains and then just tried to find a way to piece them all together into one narrative. Do you do most of your own research? I know there are some um, writers who have other people do research for them, and I can understand, especially if you're really prolific, that can be helpful, but... Um, I've always wondered if that doesn't kind of create some, um, well, the best thing I can come up with is space between you and what it is that you want to write about. Yeah, I've always done my own research. Um, I mean, you know, they say if you want something right, you have to do it yourself. And I, I couldn't, I, I don't think I could farm research out to, to someone else and rely on them to bring back you know, something I could believe in. Because, I mean, when I do when I did the research for Abandon, which was far and away uh, the most time I'd ever spent researching for a book, I mean, I, I wanted it to be authentic, and I wanted everything I, I wrote about to, to be something that could have actually happened, and I, I couldn't imagine just telling someone else to go and do that. Besides, a lot of times, it's like during the research, you discover elements of the story and things that you want to incorporate. Um, I really have not done a heavy research-intensive book since Abandon. I, what I'm working on now could be could get a little more research-intensive than things I've done in the past, you know, recently. But I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'll ever do a big historical book like Abandon again. I mean, it's it's like a year of research doing it, and it's just it's just absolutely grueling. Um, the, the pines turned out to be the beginning of a um, kind of a series. Did you plan that, and are you planning more? Because I know that uh, those of us who could have read um, the the next two uh, about those same characters, and of course, we keep wanting to know what else happens. When I no, when I first uh, wrote Pines, I thought it was just going to be the one book, kind of the, the sta a standalone, and then when I got to the end of it and realized what this big mystery was, I, it just sort of opened the door to, you know, a handful of other books and, like, Wayward in the Last Town. So, I, you know, I, I knew as I neared the end of Pines that this was probably going to be a, it's not a pair of books, but a trilogy. I, I'm not, I've gotten so many people who are asking if there's going to be a fourth book after The Last Town. And at, at this point, I, I, there's not going to be. Um, I'm just, this, you know, this, this is all I've done for the last five years is work on, on these books. 
and the TV show that's coming out based on them. And I'm, I'm just, I've had so much fun working in this world, but at the same time, I'm, I need a break. I'm, I'm ready for some new characters and a new story and a new world. So, and I'm having a lot of fun writing something now that is not Wayward Pines. <laughs> Since um, you've had some really good successes with um, uh, the, the e-books, have you thought about reading um, any of your own books uh, as a do, doing the uh, as a narrator? Me personally, no. I, I, I yeah, I, I don't like to hear my own voice. I can't imagine reading. Uh, I, I can't imagine narrating my own books. Although I, I will tell you guys that I have since April. I've started having all of my books uh, turned into audiobooks. Um, so I had Desert Places, Locked Doors, Break You, the, basically that's the Andrew Z. Thomas trilogy. I had all of those turned into audiobooks, uh, Snowbound and Eerie as well. And I have all of my short fiction, my novel Famous, um, and uh, my novella Perfect Little Town. Those are all in the works to become audiobooks. And they should all be available uh, probably by sometime in early November. You do have a voice that could very easily read your own work if you wanted to, but thank you for making those available because uh, you've got fans. Oh, I mean, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, audio you know, is, is hugely important, and uh, more and more of my sales are coming from you know, audio downloads, and it just, for a long time, I would, you know, when I was in the traditional publishing world, I would, you know, rely on them to, you know, turn my books into audiobooks, but I, I have the rights to so many of my books now, it just puts me in a position where I can go out and hire narrators and, and, and do that. Thank you for saying that about my voice. I did actually, in a band, in the audiobook for Abandon, I recorded uh, a spinoff story called On the Good Red Road. I recorded that myself, and I found it very difficult because you have to go into the studio and you have to read it perfectly, and I kept messing up. And I don't know, I don't know how these narrators do it. What other questions do uh, you all have, Joni, Jill, uh, Don, Bob? Um, hi, I'm Michelle. I I was wondering because I'm I'm personally always interested in hearing how writers write, what their writing routine is. Um, do you write a certain amount of hours a day or certain times of the day, or do you have a page quota? Um, you know, what, what is your usual writing regimen? Uh, so, I mean, on a daily basis, when I'm in the thick of a book, I try to get somewhere between 500 and 1,000 words a day. Um, a lot of my writing happens before I actually ever start writing. In other words, planning, like coming up with the idea, that's the, that's the hardest part. Um, coming up with something new and original and, you know, a, a, a big idea that's worthy of, like, spending a year or more of my life on it. So I spend a lot of time thinking about just ideas and characters. And, and once I start to circle in on something, I might uh, get a notebook and spend a month just kind of journaling about the characters and the story and trying to put together some sort of an outline. And I don't really outline the entire book. I, I, what I do is try to get a good feel for at least the first half of it and then have a really strong idea for what the end might be. So it's an end that's worth writing toward. And then it's just about 
chipping away at it day by day. Um, I mean, it's it's slow going a lot of the time. I, I have writer friends who are very very fast and can write a book in a month. But for me, it, if I, if I finish a book in a first draft in six months, that's going pretty quickly, and I'm trying not to not to rush so much anymore and just and, and take my time and and really enjoy it, especially when I'm working on an idea that I that I love. But I'll so I'll get 500 or 1,000 words. And then I'll print them off and take a pen and read over them that night, mark them up, make changes, and put the changes in so the next morning I can just start fresh on new pages. Hi, this is Alan. First of all, thank you for your, for your efforts. Your, uh, your imagination is stellar, and your stories are great, and I've really enjoyed. Uh, I've only read Abandon and Pines, but love both of them and uh, really appreciate it. And second, this is a technical question. I apologize. I'm a geek. But I'm curious, uh, in the age of technology and stuff, do you write, uh, do publishers want you to send stuff to them in Microsoft Word? I mean, what do you what do you technically write with in terms of doing stuff electronically nowadays? Do you, uh, is there a particular software they want you to use so that it makes it easy for them to, to edit stuff? Uh, and like I said, sorry, I know it's a stupid, geeky question, but I'm, I'm curious uh, uh, with all the uh, uh, technology nowadays, uh, what, the, what the format is. No, not geeky at all. Um, it's changed a lot because my first novel, was, I went through the editing process back in, geez, like 2001. And, then, and back then, it was all... Like when I finished a manuscript, I would send a hard, like you know, literally 300 printed out pages to New York, and they would, we would just go back and forth with that. Now I write on a Mac, and I, I write in Word, and so I'll just email when I've finished a book. I'll email my editor, and she takes it and sends me back a Word document with track changes turned on, so she's flagging you know, character things or notes or ideas or striking things. And then I'll take that, her, her red line back, and I'll work it up, and I'll, then I'll send that off. And at that point, I've sent off this, you know, it's, it's all digital. And then I'll get back, you know, maybe three weeks, four weeks later, the co- a copy edited. So it's not, a, not like a developmental, not a story or a character edit. It's just a copy edited. It's just like fixing sentences and things like that. I'll get that back from the copy editor the same way in Redline, and I'll usually just go through and approve all the changes. And I will, I will see at that point one more version of the book, which is the when, it's, when all the typeface has been set. <clears throat> and so the inside of the book looks like it's going to look in, you know, when you're holding it. And I'll look through that one last time, it, not, in, not in hard copy, but in digital. And, and then I'll sign off on it. And then if all goes well, I never have to look at the book again. Um, but yeah, it's my, it's all digital um, at this point, and I, I, and I send just Word docs. Yeah, I used to use Microsoft Word before I lost my vision and was writing corporate memos and stuff like that. I, the track changes has got to be a godsend because I can imagine how much easier that's got to make the whole the whole process. But but thanks for thanks for expounding on that. I appreciate it. Do you have your um, your family involved in in reading over things, or or do you belong to a writers group? I know a lot of uh, authors. Have one or the other that there's, you know, the, the the close fan who just can't wait to see what you've done next and says, 
well, you know, you forgot to put this in, or this person is is just a little too vague, or I don't like this idea, that kind of thing, just as a, uh, as you're going along? Uh, my wife used to read all my stuff, like, really early on. We have three kids now, so she doesn't have quite the time to just uh, devote solely to my uh, to my works in progress. Like, my the last town, the, this most recent, the last book, the Way of Pine series. I mean, she actually read, you know, the version she like downloaded off Amazon, which I thought was funny. Um, I used to be in a writers group here in Durango, um, but I've since I mean, kind of what's happened is over the last ten years, as I've been sort of growing in my career, I've met a handful of other writers who live all over the country. Um, uh, and like the guys like Barry Eisler, I don't know if you know these names, Barry Eisler, Jay Conrath, Marcus Seiki, and these are these guys are close friends and writers who I very much respect, so they're like my writer's group now, and we all, you know, we exchange manuscripts, and, you know, I get my notes from them, and basically they are my first round of editorial notes and feedback and things like that before I send it off to my publisher. Yeah, this is Alan again. You mentioned Amazon. I'm curious, do you have any comment on this this legal thing that's going on now between Hachette and uh, and Amazon? Uh, I, I don't know where you stand on that. I know there's, there's a, a, a big group of, uh, of authors that are, that are kind of up in arms. I, and I'm not familiar with the whole thing. I know it has something to do with Amazon. Uh, either chipping away at what Hachette charges for their books or something and, and, and refusing to like let people pre-order books on their site and stuff like that. And I was just curious, uh, maybe you can correct me if you know anything about it, if you have any comment about uh, about that affair. Um, it's, it's really interesting. There's been like a lot of stuff written on the Internet and elsewhere about, about it, and I think a lot of people don't understand what's going on. Uh, Here's, here's, in a nutshell, what's happening. Hachette is a huge multi-gazillion dollar global corporation, and so is Amazon. And they have to come to an agreement on, on how Amazon is going to sell Hachette's books. And my understanding is um, Hachette wants things, Amazon wants things, and neither company has come to an agreement. So, in other words, they... They don't have an agreement right now for Amazon to, you know, actually wholesale Hachette's books. So Amazon cannot have pre-order pages for books that it doesn't even know if this publisher is going to allow it to sell on the agreed-upon terms. There's a lot of writers on either side who are weighing in very vocally about it. And I, I, I don't want to say I don't care, but I just... It's a fight between two big corporations, and I, I think it's kind of foolish to for a writer to get overly vocal and involved on either side because I mean it's it's two giant corporations slugging it out, and the writers are to some extent in the middle, um, but that's just you know that's some of the collateral damage that happens. Well, I will say th thank you for that explanation. I have followed it a little bit, but in the interest of full disclosure, I will have to say 
that I have to have a little bit of bias, I guess, toward a ship because it is one of the few publishers that has have made arrangements with the National Library Service where we get a lot of our books from uh, the branch of the government, you know, that provides uh, books, for, downloadable books for free to us uh, that are visually impaired and, you know, with other disabilities. And uh, I have a lot of respect for, for I realize they're a big corporation, but that they at least are providing their books uh, uh, and making them available to us, which, which is nice. It, it makes things uh, available a little bit faster in, in cases. But then Amazon has also done a good job with its Kindle app, so uh, you know uh, I can see both sides. But you're right, two, two corporations and the bottom line has got to be driving the whole thing. Yeah, I mean it's I, that, that's very cool to hear that uh, that Hachette has done that, and I don't know what Amazon does and, uh, on on that front. I'd be I'd be curious to hear, but yeah, I mean it's I come from you know I, my background in writing is my first four novels were published by traditional publishers um, like Hachette, and I saw my career mismanaged. I saw I suffered from bad cover art, I suffered from failures in marketing and, and all sorts of things. And when I was able to take control of my catalog and partner with Amazon, I suddenly was able to reach readers in numbers I had never even dreamed of. Um, so I don't know, I've been on both sides of it, and I, I, I think that writers are treated far more fairly um, outside of... Uh, you know, the traditional publishing infrastructure. At least that's been my experience to date. Oh, I, well, I was just going to ask you about a different topic. Um, when you read other authors, what is it that you notice in their works? Because I, I would imagine, I mean, I read books in a certain way, but I'm not a writer. And I would think as a writer you might notice things that the average reader you know, maybe fails to appreciate. Do you have you found over the years that the way that you read other authors has changed as your career has progressed? Yeah, I mean, you can't help but but sort of read it with a little bit of a sort of inside baseball take on it. Um, when I one of the first things I look at when I'm reading a book and enjoying it is you know, is this was this an idea that needed to be a book? Was this is this something I've heard before? Is this something new and fresh? And I love reading stuff that I've that's a brand new idea or a spin on an, an oldie but a goodie. Um, I look at pacing a lot because I'm kind of obsessed with that in my work. I never, I never want, I want to make it as hard as possible when I'm writing a novel for the reader to put that down. And I think a lot of that has to do with not just the, the story you're telling it that you're telling, but how you tell it in which order you drip feed information to the uh, reader. So I get sensitive to that. If, if I'm reading a book and I, and I don't think that, um, you know, the sequence of events or if I think they, they're telling the reader too much too soon. I, I love keeping the reader off balance. And I guess that's what I look for in, in books that I read. I, I want to be kept off balance. I want to not be sure what's going on and still be pulled along. And so I look for that in, in, in books that I read. This is Don. Uh, do you plan your book out entirely like in Pines? Did you know when the guy, this federal agent goes into town that he'd end up 2,000 years in the future? Or did he just go, let the characters take you there? I did know. I did know what the end of Pines was going to be before I started writing it. Um, because I had the whole, I had the first like half of the book or two-thirds of the book worked out. 
and I really liked it because it was, um, I mean, it had all these different genre elements in it, and it was, and, and sort of what the genre you were reading was like literally changing from page to page, and I liked that a lot, but I didn't know what the end was, and so in the instance of Pines, I had to, I had to know that there was going to be a good payoff at the end that the reader was going to feel like all of this stuff finally made sense. And it took me like, I didn't, I had the first half of Pines in my head for a long time, but it took me several years to come up with something uh, with, with that end. And, w- and once I had the end, then I started writing it. So I guess to answer your question, um, I, outlined to a, I outlined to the point where I feel comfortable that uh, I'm not going to get halfway into this book and just run out of gas. Um, I did that with my first, my first two no, my first three novels, I, I I started very strong, and then I just ran out of story. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I sort of was flailing around and ended up having to do a lot of rewriting. And so after I did that three times in a row, I was like, never again. I, not that I'm going to outline every single page, but I'm going to at least have a very strong sense of where this story is heading so I don't waste my time having to rewrite books over and over. Well, this is Alan again. I've got to ask you this now that you're you're talking about Pines again. When I read, there was that one scene in the uh, with all the townspeople when they were all gathering. It really took me back to high school when I read Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, and I and I I was curious when I read it at the time. It really it really reminded me of that. Did did you ever read that? Did did that influence you at all in, in, in that scene? Oh, of course, of, of course. I mean, I think every high school student, every student has read The Lottery. It's one of my favorite short stories. And it's so scary. Um, I mean, she, what what she does is a perfect example of what I love in great writing, is she had this really big idea that, you know, uh, of this town. I hope I'm not spoiling it. I hope you have all read The Lottery. Um, but she had this great idea of this town, you know, sort of self-policing itself. But she didn't just come out and tell you what it was. She she sort of just threw the, throws the reader right into the middle of it, and you think you're just watching this weird community gathering. You don't know exactly what they're doing, and then suddenly at the end, it's like the gut punch. But, oh, but of course, um, I mean, in a way, Pines is an homage to a lot of my favorite things. It's, I, it's got Twin Peaks in there. It has the lottery. It's Twilight Zone. It has Lost. It has, it has all these things that have influenced me through the years. Um, kind of wrapped up into the kind of story that I would want to read. Um, and, and, that's, and that's the way I write and the, the way I choose ideas. Is it has to be the kind of idea that I would stay up all night to finish reading. Uh, this is Bob. I, uh, when you mentioned these references, I couldn't help but thinking of, there's, uh, reminded me a lot of... Uh, 1984 because of all of the the view screens and uh, the the security system that they had in in um, uh, pines was absolutely i mean no one had any privacy oh yeah um that was definitely i mean yes 1984 and all the all, and everything that sort of spawned all, all the ideas of the state watching you. Absolutely, there was a there's a really good uh, movie a few years ago called The Lives of Others, which is just about East Germany um, in the early 80s. I can't remember the exact time period, but it, it had the whole idea of um, 
you know, a, a society under constant surveillance and knowing that you're under surveillance and how you behave when you know that you're being watched. Uh, I, you know, that, that kind of stuff fascinates me. I don't know if um, you will want to answer this question. Um, it, it, it's one of those things that maybe you don't want to get into, but um, since we've been talking about the influences of other writers and, and so forth, I'm just curious who some of your favorite writers are. You mentioned um, knowing and sharing some reading with um, Jay Conrath, um, whose stuff I found just maybe a year ago, and I just oh, I, I, I just love it. Um, but who um, who are the the people who the, the the ones you sit down to read when you just want to read something? Oh, let's see. Um, it's a pretty eclectic mix. Pat Conroy, Cormac McCarthy. Um, another good friend of mine, but who's, who's also a writer I really love, Scott Phillips. He wrote The Ice Harvest and Cottonwood. Um, Greg Hurwitz, Dennis Lehane. I love Gillian Flynn, uh, who wrote, she wrote Gone Girl, Sharp Objects, Dark Places. Um, gosh, who else have I read recently? Um, I love Ernest Klein. He wrote Ready Player One, which is sort of one of these big, world-building things. Um, I'm, re I'm reading right now The Martian to my son, uh, which is a, a fairly new book, and I'm blanking on the, uh, on the author's name, but fascinating. And it's, it, if, if any of you guys are like hard sci-fi kind of geeks out there, you would love this because it's about a guy who gets stranded on Mars, and it's written with total realism and authenticity, uh, like exactly how you would survive day-to-day when you're trying to get NASA to come and save you. Um, who else do I like fantasy-wise? Uh, I grew up loving J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, Arthur C. Clarke, his 2001, The Space Odyssey, all that stuff. Um, <laughs> I have just a, a little southern, I mean, I grew up in the south, so I have a southern streak. Um, a guy named Tony Early, he wrote Somehow Form a Family and Jim the Boy. Love his stuff. Um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, I read that in high school, and that really made a strong impact on me because it was this sort of first-person travelogue story that uh, I just, I don't know, it always stuck with me, and I, I go back, it's one of the books I pick up all the time, and I just will open to a page and just start reading it, just, I'm, I'm, I don't know why, I'm obsessed with it. Um, what else am I, what else am I loving? Um, I mean, it's cool because, you know, I have a lot of friends who are writers and who I respect and just really, it, it, it's fun to be able to um, have those guys, like, help you out on your manuscripts and, and give them feedback. I love a book called, I just read, called Beautiful Ruins by uh, Jess Walter. Um, Lavelle Moore Leonard. I don't know, I'm all over the place on, on my reading tastes. Well, I did a quick Google on the Martian, and Andy Ware's name, W-E-I-R, popped up. Maybe that's the person. That's it, exactly. Andy Ware. Uh, I'm Joni, and I want to tell you that um, I was only able to read um, Pines and Bandon, but both of those grabbed me, and I couldn't stop reading them. I just could not put them down. So I'm thrilled to find out that um, more of you 
your books will be available on audio, in audio. And um, we are all very avid readers in this group. And um, so the more books we can get by you, the better it will be. And I just want to thanks, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much for saying that. I mean, it's such. I was, I'm so happy to, to get a chance to talk to you guys. Um, and I, I'd be curious to hear how, how you guys get your books. Because um, I mean, Amazon publishes. I mean, have a lot of great contacts uh, at Amazon and at uh, Brilliance Audio. And Amazon owns Brilliance Audio. Uh, I, at some point, and who, who, if there's anyone in this group who could sort of like let me know how you guys get the books and how you get access to it. I, I would love to put this on the radar of, uh, of my publisher, uh, which is Thomas & Mercer, which is an imprint uh, at Amazon. I, I think they would be very into uh, finding a way to get more of their, their catalog and make it available to you guys. I think, I mean, they publish a lot of amazing stuff. Um, and everything they publish, they, with small exceptions, uh, they publish in audio as well. So at some point, if, if someone could give me just some information uh, so I could just, you know, see if there's anything I can do to get you guys more access to, to my books. Because, I mean, I have a lot of stuff available that it sounds like maybe you guys have not been able to get, and I'd like to fix that. I was a little surprised that Bookshare is not available where some of the publishers do make the text available to Bookshare and, and make it available. Yes, I, you're probably not familiar with Bookshare, which is, um, they, it's actually a computerized version. It's not human voices, but they have, I think, almost 300,000 titles right now. And from what I understand, they have a special arrangement. Uh, well, Blake, probably the best way to, there, there is Bookshare, and many of us get books from Bookshare through Bookshare. Um, but the uh, National Library Service, uh, that's what was being spoken about before with Ashet Audio and how they have been uh, donating um, books to our National Library Service um, in Washington. And um, maybe uh, Mickey or Vicki can give you the information as who to contact, probably um, the uh, director, whose name is Karen Kenninger, um, would be a good person to speak with, or she could put you in touch with the right person uh, through the National Library Service. This is through the Library of Congress. And, um, and Bookshare, too. It's bookshare.org, and um, that is... Uh, a wonderful service, making books available to blind people. But as Michelle said, um, it's done in synthetic speech. The, the books are scanned, and then um, uh, you download them, and uh, they're read via synthetic speech, which uh, for a lot of people don't like that. They, they would prefer human readers. I like books in any form that I can get them. But um, uh, maybe Mickey or Vicky can give you the proper 
uh, channel to go through because the more books we can get, the more books we'll have and be thrilled about having. Yeah, this is Alan, and I'll just expound a little bit on what others have said. Uh, uh, the National Library Service uh, has a program called BARD. It stands for Braille and Audio Reading Download. And uh, you can download the books that they make available. Historically, they have pretty much done production themselves where they hire professional narrators and they produce the, uh, 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 the, the, the titles that are available because there's a, uh, there's a public law that, makes, that gives them a copyright exception uh, uh, for, for works that are, that are put out there for people with, with print disabilities. And uh, that's how, they, that's how uh, they're able to do that for free. There are some publishers, I think when I mentioned Hachette, that are starting to provide them commercial audio books to kind of shortcut some of that production cycle. Uh, I think some of the legalese gets a little dicey because if there's any kind of music that's included in the auto, audio production or any kind of sound effects stuff, I think that 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 takes it out of the uh, the copyright exception somehow. I, and I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know enough about what the exceptions are. But uh, that's one thing that makes it a little bit. Uh, 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 that's why everybody, everything that's produced is not out there. And, and also, uh, you, know, you know, you know, people have mentioned Bookshare, which scans a lot of titles and then provides books in synthetic speech. I also get stuff from Audible, which, as you know, Amazon owns Audible, uh, and then uh, then they've also got a Kindle app, and that's Audible. I mean, that's Amazon as well. You can get uh, TTS or text-to-speech synthetic voice-generated uh, books that way. So, I mean, we have access to a lot. Most of us prefer the human-narrated stuff, and uh, uh, like I said... Uh, when the commercial interests like Amazon start bumping into the NLS, I'm not sure uh, uh, what might keep them from making their 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 library available to us. Uh, uh, I'm not going to try to figure out the mind of the corporate uh, uh, directors and stuff that, that that run that stuff for a profit because uh, the different things drive them. But uh, hopefully that gives you some some guidance. And we can e Vicky or I can email you um, give you. Names, names, and and uh, ideas. Um, I'm wondering whether the uh, Amazon and the authors ever got together on Kindle books being protected or not protected. For a while, they didn't want them. The authors didn't want them to be audible audio because they felt that that would be an infringement of their rights and. Um, there was a, a big hassle, and then I lost track of it. Do you know more than I do about it, I suspect? I just wanted to say that uh, Congress allocates money for books for the blind every year. And so the um, National Library Service is, um, has to figure out how many books they can produce for the amount of monies that are given um, so this is why having the commercial audiobooks uh, donated by their publishers um, has given us a lot more to read because the allocations um, are not, well, as far as we are concerned, they're not always quite enough because the um, National Library Service has to uh, 
use that money to uh, produce uh, our digital machines that they give us now and books and they have to figure out what books they're going to produce and well, we're down to about the last 10 minutes. So another question that Mickey and I um, were wondering, um, Blake, is there any particular question that um, an interviewer hasn't asked you before that, that you've always wanted to answer? Huh. Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I've never thought of it like that. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. Give me a second to think about that, and just to close the loop uh, on what we're discussing in terms of this uh, get making you know commercial books available. I, I know what you're saying about the the synthetic voice. You know, I I actually do a lot of editing on my Kindle, and sometimes I will, you know, my Kindle has the as everyone's does. It has the uh, automated voice and male or female that reads, and it's just it's painful to listen to. It's just. You know, you, it sounds like you're listening to a computer, and sometimes it doesn't observe the punctuation breaks correctly, or it gets confused about words, and it just takes you out of the story. So, um, thank you for for this information, and please do send me an email. And you know, I'd, I'd like to see if there's something that could, that I can push along. No promises, of course, but you know, it it never hurts to ask. Um, a question that I would like to be asked. I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of one. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I will answer anything you guys want to ask me. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, well, does anyone who hasn't had a chance to ask a question have one? Um, I know, Jill, um, you haven't uh, managed to jump in there. Um, I think everybody else has been able to get in at least once. The only thing that I can add, and, and I too, um, I, I certainly like, like Pines a lot, and I haven't read any of the other books, but... I'm sure I will eventually. I have many of the books I haven't read yet. Uh, I was interested in your comment about Pat Conrad because it happens to be really one of my favorite writers, and yet your styles are very, very different. I think of him as a, an extremely intense writer. I'm always exhausted by the time I finish one of his books. Oh, exactly. And Pat Conroy holds a special place in my heart because I, I read The Prince of Tides when I was 13. It was probably like one of the first adult commercial works I'd ever read, and I was just enthralled by it. And yes, what you said, the intensity of his writing. I mean, he and I are very different writers. I mean, he's, you know, his books are about five times the length of mine, for one, and I'm okay with that because <laughs> I don't get paid by the word. But the intensity of his descriptions and his action scenes, his style, he's so funny and so good. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, one of my, uh, he's one of my favorite writers, uh, period, just because he's great, and even more on nostalgic terms, because he was one of the first writers I ever stumbled across, and a genuinely sweet, nice guy. He gave, he gave me a blurb for my, uh, for my very first novel, and it was probably the greatest thrill of my uh, writing career. Well, um, we're down to our, our last few minutes, and, and we had... Uh set aside an hour this typically lasts for an hour so i mean obviously blake if you're willing to hang around and people have more questions um we're thrilled but we don't want to uh, hold you for the rest of the day or week or whatever um 
I think those those were all the questions uh, I know we that we had talked about. Got all of those in, and uh, and a few others. So, um, if uh, anyone has anything else, or if you as the guest have anything else you want to say to us, um, that would be great. Well, maybe we won't uh, let it go on a week, but I'm happy to um, hang around and answer any other questions that. Uh, if you guys have any others, uh, happy to answer anything you guys uh, want to know about my book. I just want to say thank you so much for, for joining us and for, for being so candid and answering everything. And good luck with your career. Uh, I've got your I've got you pulled up on Audible right now. I'll be getting some more of your books and stuff. And uh, uh, I love fast-paced stuff, so uh, keep them coming. Uh, my my pleasure, and, and thanks so much uh, for the kind words. And uh, thrilled uh, thrilled you were able to discover my books, and hope you like uh, more of what you read. Let's see. How do I do this tactfully? This is Mickey, because I don't want you to put it on the wrong person. I went to uh, blakecrouch.com, and uh, I I wrote to the email address that's there, and it uh, it got returned to me, and I thought, hmm. And then I saw that it hadn't been uh, updated since 2009, and uh, um, it uh, was interesting. It helped my research. <laughs> well, I would say go look at my website now because I just literally have a new website as of about a week ago. I'd just like to thank you again and to tell you that this has been one of the most interesting and informative interviews with a writer that I've had the pleasure of listening to. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. It's so my pleasure. I've had such fun uh, talking with you guys. Well, I know you don't have time for it, but I would love to have you read your own books for us because um, your voice is, is very interesting, very compelling, as your books are. So, um, and I, too, want to thank you again. Uh, this has been a very good hour spent with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, <laughs> no promises on me reading my own books. We'll see. We'll see. Um, maybe, maybe I'll uh, read a, a short story uh, here and there at some point and put it up on, uh, on Audible. Another thing that I, I hope you take in the right way, I love your imagination. You are really sick. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, I guess. Um, and if you're saying that about my most recent books, uh, do not read my first, uh, do not read the Andrew Z. Thomas or the Serial series. I'll just say that. Because if, if you're thinking Pines and Run might be sick, um, wow. No, I love them. They're fantastic. The sicker, the better. Um, no, not exactly, but uh, your imagination just carries you, carries me, um, I guess, where you want me to go. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I, a quick question. Um, I'm just curious, uh, you know, for you guys who are dealing with visual impairment, as you're listening to a book, is there something... It must be a different experience. So is, is there things in a book that as you're listening to it 
that work and don't work for someone who's visually impaired? I mean, do you guys lean more heavily into the dialogue? Is, is, do you want more description? Um, it's just something that I'm curious about as we're, as we're discussing all of this, if anyone would care to answer. I'll just say, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's all about good story, good characters. I mean, I think that's universal for all of us. I will say that when you're listening to uh, audio narrated books, it, it does help to have voice actors do the stuff. I don't care for, you know, it being overly dramatized, but I do. I mean, some of them do a really good job uh, changing the voices and stuff like that, and, and uh, I personally enjoy it. You'll, you'll get, you'll get a, a different different opinions on it. But uh, uh, as, as in terms of whether I like extra description or anything like that, eh, ultimately I, I just like a good, uh, a good story with, with good characters. I think uh, people liking description or not varies um, uh, within the uh, blind community. Some do, some don't. It's just like uh, uh, <laughs> It's just a matter of personal preference. Some people love to hear about the scenery, and uh, and uh, others might not. So it's uh, it's right across the board. So it's all about the storytelling at the end of the day. It's what a story that propels you and keeps you listening and, and not wanting to do other things. Well, that exactly, and... and um uh, as I said earlier, yours um, yours do what you want them to do. They they grab the reader and they keep the reader wanting to know what happens next and and just keep going. Thank you, thank you. That's that's good to hear. I I think it's only fair to. Um, Go ahead and, and, and release you. Blake, thank you so much for joining us because uh, our, our people are vanishing here. Um, the, the hour is, is up and they have other commitments and so forth. So thank you so much for joining us. This has been really an excellent uh, and really th this hour has flown by. Well, thank you and um, thanks for the invitation and it was uh, a real pleasure. And anytime, if you feel you'd like to drop in and see what this group of characters are doing, just let one of us know, and we'd be happy to have you talk about your next book or future or whatever, or, you know, just be an honorary member of the group. Thank you, guys. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Oh, definitely. And um, Mickey or I will be in touch to um, give you more information about getting in contact with a Bard, and who knows what might happen. Yes, please do. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious to uh, kind of explore that a little bit. And thank you so much for your patience in trying to get this thing to work right. I think it did. I think it worked beautifully. Oh, it's seamless no no issues at all i wish all interviews were this much fun well thank you very much i'm going to go and think about what i need to make for supper <laughs> it's six o'clock here <laughs> but uh thanks again oh my pleasure my pleasure 